This is Big Problems and Advice Podcast. I'm David Chen. And I'm Stephen Tobolowski. And welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. If you're just tuning in for the first time, what we do here is uh, we accept your emails at mail at bigproblemspodcast.com. That's mail at bigproblemspodcast.com. Uh, and if you write in with a question, you may get it answered by legendary character actor Stephen Tobolowski and myself, who is significantly less legendary and also not a character actor. I'm David Chen. Uh, now, Stephen, this was supposed to be our weekly podcast that yeah. we did every week, and it was very simple to do every week. And why did you say we wanted to do a weekly podcast, David? Well, I think we wanted to keep in touch with people on a very regular basis. We wanted to be reliable. But, but we haven't done that, have we? No. Uh, and, and why is that? Well... A significant part of that is because we have spent a lot of time preparing for our film premiere uh, of The Primary Instinct, which is a movie that we made together. And we actually did world premiere recently at the Seattle International Film Festival. Uh, and what a great experience that was. What, what a great experience. I have to tell you, the second screening we had on Saturday, I started tearing up in the theater watching the movie. And I didn't know if it was because of the content of the movie, which could be terrifiable at some times. But I think it was more the struggle that you and me and Mike Gaston and Superfrog, what we all did in kind of getting to this position where we made this movie to where people could see it. And I was so proud of it and so proud of all the work you and Mike did. Really, David. Yeah. Um, well, I am really grateful to all of our Kickstarter backers, many of whom probably listened to this podcast, uh, who helped us get there. David, and, David, yes. let, me, let me give you a, a big compliment here for, for our thing. I went to synagogue this weekend uh-huh. to services. The rabbi got up and said, I'd like to quote from The Primary Instinct – a uh, film that has just been released. Uh, she was one of our backers. Oh, nice. And she goes, Stephen Tobolowsky in the film quotes. And she used it in the sermon. Wow. David. That's impressive. I mean, come on. Uh, well, really appreciate all the people who contributed to uh, the Kickstarter to make The Primary Instinct possible. If you want some more information about the project, go to theprimaryinstinct.com. We'll have actually a lot more details about how you can see the film even if you didn't back us on kickstarter we'll have that to announce very soon i'm very excited Mm -hmm. about that uh but yeah uh, thanks to all the people who showed up in seattle as well very exciting uh to see all the fans turn out for the show uh but anyway we are going to try to get back onto a regular schedule and I, i also have to admit that part of the reason for the delay is that i have been thinking about the structure of this podcast, big problems, and whether we should continue doing it the way we're doing it with just uh, uh, people's emails every week or whether it should be more general conversation and how we would structure that. If you have any suggestions, feel free to write in at mail at bigproblemspodcast.com. But just know that uh, we're thinking through the structure of the show and uh, it may evolve as time goes on. Um, And hopefully people will keep tuning in. In the meantime... Why don't we get to this week's emails again? You can always write into us at mail at bigproblemspodcast.com. Let us know if we can use your full name or if you'd like us to use a pseudonym. And uh, we may edit your email for uh, clarity and brevity on the podcast. Um, so let's begin. This email comes in um, from Ivan. Ivan writes in, I am someone who grew up in a very loving Christian family, but since my late college years have turned away from traditional faith. 
However, I have gotten to a place where I am not too hardened by my change of beliefs or perhaps the dissipation of my beliefs. I still find myself longing and searching for a loving slash good God who I can personally experience. Most, if not all, the mentors I have in my life, especially these past few years, have been devout, humble, and truth-seeking Christians who believe in a loving God. I speak with them often, hoping to be challenged as I challenge. Thus, as you can hopefully see, I am not running away with blinders on. I am simply looking for truth with the hopes that I find a loving God. As I consider my thoughts and questions, I realize that I am not asking you for an answer, but simply an existential remedy. How do you live, act, and have faith with full awareness of evil's existence? So that that is probably the biggest problem of all, Stephen. (laughs) Uh, I actually, you know, when I, when we started this podcast, I said, please write in, be specific as possible. Uh, this was the type of question that I didn't want to answer because I feel like it's way too broad. Mm-hmm. But uh, you insisted on addressing insist- this one. <clears throat> I did. I, I got into an argument recently. It began a little with Chris Hardwick on on his podcast and continued on afterwards. People uh, always like to get into general discussions about evil, uh, whether it exists and how it uh, cripples them and cripples their actions in moving forward. And I want to bring up – I wanted to bring up something that's in the Talmud, a a story from the Talmud. And that is – it says that at any one time, there are only 36 people that stand between us and the forces of darkness – However, those 36 change. You never know when it's going to be your turn to be one of the 36. So you must always be vigilant. So my answer to Ivan is that the way you look for a loving God in life, the way you look for truth is to always be vigilant. You have to keep looking out. Uh, One thing I hear all the time and, th- and this is a simple one you could do. A- anyone can do. People talk about, well, I'm not going to go out and commit any murders. I'm, I'm not that kind of person. No, no, no. But are you the kind of person who gossips? Let's, let's do something that's within your wheelhouse. Are you the kind of person that gossips? In the olden days, there were three types of crimes that merited a capital offense, murder, adultery, and gossip. The reason being that those are three crimes in which you cannot make restitution. You cannot bring back a life. You cannot bring back a family. And you cannot bring back a reputation. Now, I know that tearing people down, shaming people, gossiping about people is the stuff of television. That's the stuff of of our entertainment industry now. So I ask you, in your day-to-day life, How many times do you walk up to that doorway and say, I'm going to say something which may or may not be founded or unfounded? Open that door and say, I'm going to do something to trash someone. That's a real simple way, Ivan. You can start by by looking for truth and for finding a loving God. By you yourself not not shaming and, and trashing people, which is uh, where we live on the internet, David, which I guess is your wheelhouse. <laughs> For sure. Uh, <laughs> it's, so it sounds like you're saying that gossip being one of the worst crimes you can commit 
if you can avoid that, you're kind of making your own contribution of good into the world. Is that what you're getting at? Yes, and and being vigilant as to when you have to be one of the 36. You have to always be aware of when it's your turn to stand on the front line and protect everyone else from evil. And to do that, you have to be aware, number one. And two, you have to be careful that you're not making the world just a little bit worse. I mean, and not everybody is going to be spreading a dirty bomb in some city or, or cutting someone's throat. But in the little ways we have of making the world nicer, of making the world more polite, of making the world truer and kinder, see what you can do. And, and it may be just that little effort that, that creates a whole, what, what I guess you would say the butterfly effect. The quantum change of of a butterfly wing in South America that creates a hurricane, it it could be the one bit of kindness that changes everything. Uh, Why do you think 36 is the number? What do you think is significant about that? I think the theory is this. In Judaism, high, uh, a life, the the word for life is, is numerically marked as 18. And so it's double high. So it's 36. And, and they're even – when they ask for donations, sometimes at the synagogue, they ask for triple high. Mm. So, so you, you, you know, <laughs> uh, everything goes in, in, in groups of 18. So I can really get I, up there. I am thinking uh, it's the double high. Maybe, maybe someone out there who is more versed in, in that than me can contribute something. But that's my understanding. Let's get to the next email. This one comes in from Chris from Milwaukee. And unfortunately, I wanted to respond to this email uh, when it could still be useful to Chris. But uh, that time has passed. That being said, uh, he was okay with us responding to it after uh, its usefulness had expired. And so you'll understand what I'm talking about in a few seconds. Chris writes in, Hi, David and Stephen. My wife's grandfather passed away this past weekend. He was one of the kindest, friendliest people I've ever had the pleasure of meeting. My wife and him were very close. Thanks to Skype and FaceTime, we were able to see him every week, even through his battle with pancreatic cancer the last few months, and despite our living a thousand miles away. After my wife's father, aka my wife's grandfather's son, passed away suddenly, and her mother dropped out of our lives, she felt he was one of the few people who truly, unconditionally loved her. While we want to attend the funeral, the distance is making it a struggle. On short notice, flights are upwards of $800 per person. Her job has only allotted one day off for the funeral. She used three personal days at her aunt's insistence to visit him when he was sick last November. And since the funeral is on a Friday, we're limited to traveling Thursday evening or Friday morning. We've considered pretty much every option, checking departure airports in two different states and arrival airports in three, driving overnight, and even me driving on Thursday while she takes an evening flight and then driving back together. The bigger problem is that her aunt and grandmother are trying to guilt her into attending with various passive-aggressive comments, making it seem like they'll be angry if she doesn't show up. My wife and her her aunt aren't on the greatest terms, and while we're willing to let bygones be bygones, we're also concerned that we're going to make an expensive, stressful, long-distance trip and end up miserable because of the way they treat her. My wife's aunt is insisting that she has to be there no matter how inconvenient it may be, but when we asked for a ride from the airport at 1 a.m., she offered no response except, I don't know what to tell you, we can't and to volunteer a friend of ours to whom it would be a much greater inconvenience. While I understand the inconvenience, it's frustrating given the lack of concern for our inconvenience. I feel that if her grandfather was still alive, he would recognize the stress and cost of this trip and tell us to honor the deceased in a different way. If he really felt she needed to be there, he would help in any way he could, 
putting his money where his mouth is rather than with passive-aggressive comments. I feel that trying to guilt her into going and not being willing to assist is the complete opposite of honoring his memory, and maybe it's time to throw in the towel and accept that we can't go. How do you think we should proceed? Should we pay the exorbitant airfares and stressful trip to see people who are trying to guilt us and may even make the visit more uncomfortable than it already is? Or honor him in our own way from a distance, but risk alienating the few family members she has left? Thanks very much. Please keep doing what you're doing. That email comes in from Chris from Milwaukee. So, a variation of to fly or not to fly, which is a previous email. Uh, this I, time from Chris who wants to know whether to fly at great expense to honor his wife's grandfather. The wonderful thing about this email, which is filled with pain, but the wonderful thing about this email is it has about five big problems in it. Contained in it, just just nuggets dealing with the, the basics. Uh, first of all, about the funeral. They're always – Funerals are like when babies come, there's never a good time. There's never a good time. It's always inconvenient. It's always expensive. It, it never happens, right? A funeral is a societal moment. I think Euripides in uh, The Three Sisters said, it is not for the dead. It is for we, the living. Right. The funeral is for us, not for, not for those who have passed on. Uh, they're... So there will always be a million reasons not to go. Now, in my family, <laughs> personally, I've, I've missed quite a few. I've missed quite a few funerals, uh, sometime because I was doing a play and I, I could not leave. Uh, once it was because my mother did not tell me that a beloved uh, relative had passed on because she didn't want to upset me. Mm. Uh, in fact, my grandmother in Pennsylvania passed on, and I never found out until kind of after the funeral. So, so I, in my life, I had a different sort of big problem in that I had parents who tried to they, – they felt it was a sad experience. The, the only person who gets robbed if you don't go is you. Uh, it could be a good experience. It could be a not good experience, but it will be an important experience. Whenever you go to a funeral, to a birth, to a wedding, it's an important experience. Uh, you have the choice of time, money, convenience. All of that is all important to consider. How do you make the calculation yourself, Stephen? When I think the calculation makes me. Uh, everything, everything that was said in this letter is absolutely true. When my mother had her first heart attack, I called the airlines and it was exactly what he said and exactly the same ticket price, $800 to fly to Dallas, you know, and, and people were advising me, well, she's in stable condition now, Stephen, maybe you want to wait and see if if she improves or or and then maybe you could come later or i said screw it i'm coming now and and i came that afternoon and i paid the money and i went but the decision made me it, it was something i i couldn't sit around futzing over how much <laughs> working up plans and i understand completely i empathize with the comment of people who say i will do anything to help make this happen. And you say, well, you pick me up at 1 a.m. Well, anything but that. I won't, I won't 
do that. People love to be heroes in the present by promising something wonderful in the future. It's like a credit card to a Russian bank. The, the, the interest is way too high sometimes. And when it comes time to really deliver on these promises in the future, they cannot do it. You just have to understand that's the nature of people. They want to be the hero. Uh, so you can't really blame them for that, but it is disappointing. The, the other thing that the letter points out, which I thought was another huge problem, is the passive aggression of people that risk making a moment for you a terrible moment. What happens in that letter, and you could hear, David, as you were reading it, there was so much attention given to the passive-aggressive people and what it was going to do. It gives them power. All the attention given to what those people's opinion is going to matter, the way you deal with passive aggression is you do not heed it. You take a step back and you let it simmer in its own juices. So even though it's after the fact of the funeral, don't worry about those other people and their opinions. Don't worry about it. Don't get involved with it. Let it be a keto with it. Let the energy pass beyond you and move forward. It sounds like you are actually kind of in support of uh, Chris flying to the funeral. Uh, I, and I, th- I think Chris is right in, in that it's a dilemma. And, and I have a feeling I would bet that probably from the sound of the letter, Chris ended up not going. Right, but, but I, 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 yeah. I think like the part of the email that I find most empathy with is what would the person who passed want? You know, mm-hmm. would they yeah. want you to greatly inconvenience yourself? <laughs> you know, face harsh criticism unnecessarily for the purpose of uh, showing up at this person's funeral, who's who's not no longer with us? Right? I don't. I don't know. I, I think I can't. I can't think of that many people that would want that. Do you know what I mean? Right. I, I, that's why I think you have to be selfish in these conditions and you have to say, what is it I want to do? It's going to be an important life experience, no matter good, bad, anyway. Right. Going to a funeral of someone that you love that much is going to be a major life experience. It's going to be important. So the question is, do you clear every? Everything, do you clear the slate and, and fly back and do it at great expense? So, so I'm, I, I see, Chris, you could go either way with it. But it, understand, you have to be selfish about the decision. And it's about you. It's not about them. And that's the same thing about passive-aggressive people. It's about you. It's not about them. And the more airtime you give them, the more power you give them. All right. Well, I think that's a great place to wrap up. Thanks for writing in to mail at bigproblemspodcast.com. And uh, thank you for listening to this week's episode. And we will endeavor to be back on a weekly basis. (laughs) Find every episode of the show at bigproblemspodcast.com. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you guys later. Adios.